0: Hey man, if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 this afternoon. Philippians chapter 4. How many of you guys are full and ready for a nap? Yeah, I'm going to be quick tonight. I'm going to be like that hen that wanted to lay an egg out here on the middle of I-64. Y'all heard about about that, right? Hen looks at the rooster and says, I just have this overwhelming desire to lay an egg in the middle of I-64. Rooster says, I got two words of advice. Do it quick and lay it on the line. So that's what we're going to do. Do it quick and lay it on the line. You guys go home and watch some football and I'm going to get on the road. Philippians chapter 4 this afternoon. I had the privilege to preach through the book of Philippians when I was in South Africa. And uh, the missionary that I was working with, he came back on furlough after my first year of language school. And so he said, hey, uh, make sure the church doesn't die while I'm back in the States. And I said, great. Uh, Thanks for that pressure. And uh, I'd finished one year of language school. I was just learning how to click and uh, how to say simple sentences and things of that nature. And he said, all right, now you're going to preach every service. And so it was like throwing your kid into the deep end uh, to learn how to swim. And, uh, you know, I'm really thankful for that opportunity just because it did force me to get out of my comfort zone. It forced me to put to practice the things that I was learning. And uh, during that, I I took the book of Philippians and uh, I I just started creating messages and then taking those messages and sitting down with my language school teacher and translating them into Xhosa. And uh, so every week I knew what was going to be next. And so I could get kind of a head start on that and practice it. But you know, it's, it's always amazing as we start going through the Bible, uh, the things that the Lord starts to reveal to you personally. And it's like he started nailing me right between the eyes with some of the personal insecurities that I still face. And uh, there's a saying, they say, that on the mission field, you know, we think here that we might have victory over something or we conquer different things in our life. But on the mission field, there's a saying that the scum in your life rises to the top. Uh, a lot of things that uh, maybe you thought you had control of, insecurities, uh, even um, even things such as racism, And things like that, when you're in the mission field, you're in a new culture, a new language, uh, everything is foreign to you. Some of those things that maybe we just suppressed and buried real deep, they start to come up in your life. And God used this time to teach me some of those lessons that I needed in order to be effective on the field. And so we're going to look at a couple of those lessons this afternoon. Uh, you know, he starts off, Paul, Paul's writing this epistle to the church, and he's, he's sitting in a jail cell. Uh, he's in prison, he's nearing the end of his life. And in chapter 1, he talks about how he doesn't find his identity in his position as an apostle. Uh, he doesn't find his identity in his possessions, because he's, because he's in jail, he doesn't have a whole lot. But he finds his identity in the person of Jesus Christ. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, For to me to live is Christ. You see, when we ask somebody, hey, who are you? Or, or, or what are you known for? Define yourself. Many of us, we may automatically go to, well, you know what? I'm a, I'm a preacher. Uh, or you know what? I am in law enforcement. Or uh, I'm, I'm a, a husband to Ashley and, and, a, and a dad to Peyton, Eli, and Nealon. And we define ourselves by these different things. But in Paul's life, he says, I just want you to know this about me. My life is not my own. I belong to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he said, listen, there's other preachers that they're preaching Jesus and they're trying to add affliction to my bonds as if jail wasn't hard enough, as if being in prison wasn't difficult enough. These other guys are saying some not so nice things about me, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. And Paul said this, he said, you know what, I can't control what those other men are saying about me. As a matter of fact, I can't control what people do to me. But the one thing that I can control is how I respond. And he said, and I choose to rejoice, and yea, will rejoice, because they are preaching Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us what the mind of Christ is, and then he also encourages us to have that mind. In verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He said it was not a crime when Jesus Christ proclaimed his equality with God. Why? Because he is God. Amen. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus Christ is as much God as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. It was not a crime when Jesus Christ proclaimed his equality with God, when he proclaimed his deity. The very thing that the Pharisees and the uh, and the Jews uh, not only t- tortured and 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 uh, hung him on the cross for. But uh, his deity was a reality. He is as much God as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He said he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, the Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ didn't stop halfway? That when they tortured Him, when they plucked His beard, when they beat Him, that He didn't stop? Aren't you thankful that though He had the power and the ability, He did not call the 10,000 angels to deliver Him, but He went all the way To the cross for you and I. And I love this next word. Wherefore. As a result of Jesus Christ taking all of that sin. All of that shame. All of that which we deserved upon Himself. And laying down His life for you and I. Wherefore. God has also highly exalted Him. And given Him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can somebody say amen right there? You know, one day as a child of God, I'm going to stand before Him. And it may be by death or it may be that we are raptured up the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to meet Him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But regardless of how we go, what a glorious day that will be. Amen. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. And we'll be reunited with our Savior for all eternity. Amen. You know, there's another side to that. You see, for us, that's a joyous occasion because we have bowed the knee and we have confessed with the tongue Jesus Christ as our Savior. But all around this world, there are souls that they have not bowed the knee and they have not confessed with the tongue Jesus Christ. But my friend, you can be rest assured that they will do so in the next life. But instead of well done, the next words that they hear will be, depart from me, for I never knew you. Amen. Right. We have a job to do. In chapter 3, Paul talks about how his past does not determine his future. He says, listen, if there's anybody that has a right here to brag about my spiritual condition and all the accomplishments that I had before I was saved, he said, it's I. He said, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was blameless. He said, you know what? I didn't just keep the law, but I I, I was the law. He said, I was a persecutor of the church. I made sure that other people kept the law that they were supposed to keep. He said, concerning zeal, no one could touch me. I was the most zealous of them all. But I counted it all but loss for the excellency of Christ. He said, when I met Jesus, all of that was behind me and now I press toward the prize of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, today my greatest desire is that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, having fellowship with Him even in His sufferings and then being made conformable unto His death. I wonder so many times in today's society, in our churches in America today, you know, most people, they don't have a problem following Jesus as long as it doesn't cost them anything. But I wonder how many of us would follow Jesus if it meant having fellowship with Him even in His sufferings. If it meant picking up our cross, the instrument of our death, and following Him. But that was Paul's greatest desire. You know, I'm thankful that today that my past doesn't determine my future. Amen. Amen. Now I'm, I'll just be honest with you. Don't you love that when a preacher says I'm going to be honest with you? Like I'm going to stand here and lie to you. Well, guess what? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm here as a product of the bus ministry. Amen. I wasn't raised in church. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was a young, young person going to church, um, I went by myself from the time that I was 11 all the way up until I had my own family. Uh, I, I got saved as a product of Vacation Bible School uh, when I was a young man, and I got plugged into church, and uh, the way I got plugged into my church that I finally you know, was raised through my teen years, my pastor at the time was also my baseball coach. And so I'd love to tell you that I started going to his church because I was just so in love with Jesus, but the truth is I wanted to make sure I got a starting position at second base. But you know, it was there that God began to work in my heart. I made friends with his children and other guys in the church. But I always remember, 14, 15 years old, I wanted to do something for God. I wanted to serve him somehow. And I always remember sitting there, especially on the big days, you know, when uh, Mother's Day would roll around. At our church where we grew up, they would always, they'd, they'd line the, the front altar with roses. And all the young people at the close of the service, they'd come down and they would pick up a rose and then they would walk down the aisle and take it to their mom and say, Happy Mother's Day. And you know what? I remember sitting there about three rows back with all the other teens and I was the only one of my friends that stayed in my seat. I, I remember how my heart would break I didn't want anybody to know it, so I'd fight back the tears. But I remember saying, God, can you ever use my life the way that you're going to use theirs? I remember when Father's Day would roll around. My friend, Philip, I I always liked him, but I didn't like him on this day because he always got up and he sang this song called I Have a Goodly Heritage. Anybody know that song? It it starts out, it's like, I, uh, I may not have riches or wealth as some others may, but I have a father who knows how to pray. And so he would sing that song, and it talks about the goodly heritage he has because of his parents bringing him to church. And and I remember he would sing that song. And I grew to hate that song. As a matter of fact, while Philip was singing it, I didn't like him very much either. Because you know what? I didn't have that goodly heritage. I remember when they would all get up and they would come down to the altar and they would pray with their dad. They'd hug their neck and thank them for bringing them to church. I remember I'd sit there in the pew without my folks there. And I'd say, God, can you ever use somebody like me? You know, I didn't have that goodly heritage then. You can look back there on that prayer card and I can tell you what, I got one now. And they have followed me literally all over the world serving Jesus and your story may be very similar. You may not have been raised with that goodly heritage. You may not have had your folks bring you to church to hear the preaching and hear the singing and worship Jesus. You may not have had a family that would gather around the dinner table and pray and thank God for all your blessings. But can I tell you something? It can start with you and it can start right now. And I'm thankful to the God of heaven that I didn't have that growing up. But my children can look at me and say, you know what? I have a goodly heritage and one day, Lord willing, maybe my grandchildren or even great-grandchildren can say, you know, that, that old man back there, he didn't have one, but he sure gave us one. Amen. I'm thankful that my past does not determine my future. Then we come to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, Paul is having to deal with a little touchy issue here. Uh, he's got two ladies in the church that are not getting along. Now, ladies, understand... If there's anything going on here, I don't know about it. Your pastor did not tell me before the service, Hey, we've got two ladies that are not getting along. Maybe you can nail this. That's not what happened. But I'm sure that if it happened in the Apostle Paul's church that he started, it's very possible that maybe, maybe not today, but maybe down the road, we'll have to deal with some of these same issues. But Paul's having to deal with that. We're not even sure what they were arguing about. And maybe it was the color of the drapes on the windows. And I think I'm safe there because you guys don't have drapes on your windows. (laughs) And Paul deals with that here in chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias and I beseech Syntyche, those are those two ladies, that they be of the same mind in the Lord, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Then notice verse 4 with me. Rejoice in the Lord, and help me out with this next word, church. You know, that's not too bad. One of the hardest things in the world is to get a bunch of Baptists to do anything at the same time. (laughs) Now that you're ready... Let's try that again, okay? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. For just a few moments this afternoon, I'd like to preach two lessons that God taught me on the mission field. Two lessons that God taught me on the mission field. Lesson number one, you ready? Learn to control your thoughts or your thoughts will control you. Learn to control your thoughts, or your thoughts will control you. You see, there in verse 4, we're told to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, you guys help me out. This is the Sunday evening crowd, even though it's a little bit earlier. So you guys are the cream of the crop. You are one step below the Wednesday night crowd, who is like the top of the top. So if you are the Wednesday night crowd, then guess what? You're really on top of things. So, when is always. Always. It's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? How about at all times? You see, we're told to rejoice in the Lord always, and that is not dependent upon our circumstances. You see, it's easy for us to rejoice in the Lord on a beautiful day like today when we could come into this beautiful remodeled uh, auditorium and we can sit in the air conditioning And I don't know where fall went, but I'm hoping it's somewhere around the corner. But regardless, we can come into this beautiful building. We can sit in these nice chairs. We can uh, look at this beautiful backdrop, hear the beautiful song service, hear the great preaching and all of that. And it's easy during those times for us to rejoice in the Lord, isn't it? On Sunday mornings when we've had a good night's rest and we get up and things are going our way, my aunt and uncle fixed me breakfast this morning and I tell you, it's been one of the best Sunday mornings I've had in a long time. It's easy for us to come into God's house on a Sunday morning when everything's going your way and rejoice in the Lord, isn't it? But what about when the storms come? What about when your phone rings and it's your... Younger brother telling you that your dad's died. November 1st will be five years since I lost my dad to a massive heart attack. We were in a church in Knoxville, Tennessee when that when that phone rang. And it changed my life. I know Pastor's coming up on one year since he lost his mom to cancer. It's not so easy to rejoice in the Lord during those times, is it? It's not so easy to rejoice in the Lord when the storms of life surround you and you can't even see uh, His face in front of you. You don't have friends to your right or your left that you can lean to and you feel like you're all alone. It's not so easy to rejoice in the Lord when the rest of the world has no idea what you're going through. But we're told to rejoice in the Lord always. know that's not dependent upon our circumstances it's not dependent upon the situation that we're in there's two times in the Christian life where we're going to face hardship one is because of the consequences of sin and I think we can clearly see that in scripture David when he sinned with Bathsheba he had Uriah killed and uh the next chapter over in in in, uh first Samuel chapter 12 um uh the prophet Nathan comes to him and he points the finger at David and says thou art the man and David has to suffer the, persecution, or suffer the consequences of his sin. He loses four of his children uh, in some shape, form, or fashion. The, the first child that he was going to have with Bathsheba dies. Then Absalom uh, kills Amnon, and Amnon raped Tamar. And then Absalom tries to overthrow David. And then Joab kills Absalom for his, uh, him trying to overthrow David. And so all of his children suffer as a result of the consequences of David's sin. But understand that hardship in the Christian life is not always because we've messed up. According to James chapter 1, the Bible says, "...count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience." And when we allow patience to have her perfect work in us, then we can be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect and not ever slip and stumble. But it means that on the other side of the storm, on the other side of the trial, then we will be more like Jesus than we are right now. And we're to count that joy. One preacher said it like this. He said, in the Christian life, we live from a series of storms. You're either getting ready to go into a storm, you're in the midst of a storm right now, or you're just coming out of one. But we live from a series of storms. I like what another preacher said. He said, in the Christian life, we live from victory to victory. Aren't you glad that the victory's already been won? You see, the truth of the matter is, is that we can turn to the back of the book, and guess what? We win. You realize that tonight, today, as a child of God, that the absolute worst thing that can ever happen to you is that you die and get to spend an eternity with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty good to me. Paul said in in Philippians chapter 1, he said, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Jesus, which is far better. Nevertheless, it's more needful for you that I abide here in the flesh. Why was that? Because he was doing the only thing that brought, uh, that brought fulfillment in life, and that was preaching Jesus Christ crucified. Control your thoughts, or your thoughts will control you. So we don't focus on the storm, we don't focus on the situation, we don't focus on the circumstances. Verse 5, notice with me, it says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. That word moderation, it means your self-control or your disposition. Another good word there is, is your testimony. You understand this afternoon that to somebody, you are the best Christian that they know. To someone, you're the only Bible that they'll ever even read. And just as much as the world is watching how you respond to the blessings of life, They are much more watching how you respond to the hardships in life. What sort of testimony are you during the midst of the storm? Can you trust in the Lord? Can you look to Him? The one that controls the storm, that simply speaks, Peace, be still, and the winds obey. Are you one that can look to the God of heaven and know that He still sits upon the throne? Control your thoughts. Or your thoughts will control you. How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look with me at verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, here it is, think on these things. So we don't focus on the storm, we don't focus on the trial that we're going through, we don't focus on our circumstances, but we are given a list of things that we should think on there in verse 8. And as I study the scriptures and I really just try to grasp that, there's only two things that would come to mind that would fit the description there in verse 8. And those two things in all reality are, are actually one. The first thing that that list describes to me is that holy precious word that you hold right there in your hands? As Pastor said, you know, you know what the Bible says of itself? That it's quick, which means alive. And it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two edged sword that pierces even the dividing asunder of a man's soul and spirit. You see, the Word of God has the ability to change lives. You see, in our life, we know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that God says, wherever it's preached, wherever it's proclaimed, it will not return unto me void. It will produce fruit as long as it's presented. You see, the Bible says that the gospel... It is the power of God unto salvation. I can tell you story after story of people in South Africa that when they heard the gospel, they were on their way to death, hell, and destruction. They, their lives had no meaning and no purpose. They had absolutely no hope for eternity. But they heard the gospel, they trusted in Christ, and as a result, they went from death, hell, and the grave to now life everlasting Reunited with Jesus Christ for all eternity and now they have purpose for their life as a result of the word of God. Amen. I came back from Iraq in 2007. And like many servicemen, I, I struggled with some of the same problems that we see other servicemen struggle with. And My wife and I, we were newlyweds at the time and like many newlyweds, she used to like to sleep real close to me in the bed. As a matter of fact, she would lay her head right here in my arms. It would be stretched out. You know, you'd have those moments where your arm would go to sleep, but you didn't want to wake her up. And so you would do like you're squeezing the ball and trying to get the blood pumping to your arm and all that stuff. And I just wouldn't move it. I'd lay there. And then I'd go to sleep, and somewhere along the night, I would have a nightmare. And then in my nightmare, that arm that was stretched out would then close up, and I would start to choke my wife in my sleep. There were times it would be so difficult for her to wake me up that she would elbow me and hit me and scream at me and shake me trying to get me to wake so that I would let her go out of that chokehold. And there were other times, and of course I wouldn't remember any of this until the next morning when she told me what happened. There were other times where I would jump straight out of bed and I'd run over to the nightstand I'd grab my pistol. We lived in a little two-bedroom apartment in uh, North Atlanta at the time and I would go from room to room, clearing rooms, making sure there wasn't a threat. After a few times of this happening, we sat down with my pastor, and you know, I said, "Listen, she she keeps getting further and further apart, and she's not sleeping close to me anymore. You know, it's because of this. You know, what do we do?" Now, after twelve years of marriage, we got a king size bed. She stays on her side; I stay on my side. We sleep real good today. <laughs> but I used to like when she'd sleep close to me, and then she started scooting over and saying, "No, nah, I think I'll stay over here now." We sat with my pastor and told him what was going on and he looked at me he said, Stephen, here's what I want you to do. Tonight, when you and Ashley go to bed, he said, I just want you to turn the TV off. I want you to get out the Bible and I want the two of you together to read one chapter of the Word of God together. And so we started doing that. That one chapter eventually turned into two chapters. Two chapters turned into four chapters. After while, Ashley, who's always been more spiritual than I am, she thought it would be a good idea. She went and got a notebook, and she started writing down what we read, what the passage meant, and how we were going to apply it to our life as a result. So she started keeping a, a devotion journal. You realize that within three months of us having this new routine where I was replacing uh, that junk in my heart and my mind from Iraq with the Word of God, that all of my nightmares had stopped. You see, the Word of God began to change me from the inside out. Amen. And God brought victory. He renewed that heart and He renewed that mind. Amen. You know, the second thing that that list describes to me is our precious Savior. You know, He's altogether lovely. He is. The bright and morning star. The Bible calls him the rose of Sharon. He's the Alpha and the Omega. You know what Hebrews says? That not only is He the author, but He's the finisher of our faith. And that as we look to Jesus, then we can run this race called life with patience. And the same joy that he had when he was going to the cross. Because he is the affection of our heart. And he is the focus of our eye. Control your thoughts. Or your thoughts will control you. Lesson number two and we're done. You ready? Expect nothing. And be grateful for everything. Look with me at verse 10 if you will. Paul says in verse 10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me had flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know what he's saying there? He says, listen, I'm rejoicing in the Lord because he's blessed you again to where you can now communicate and and support our ministry. He says, I'm not rejoicing because I wanted or needed anything from you. He said, I'm rejoicing that God has blessed you. He said, it's not because you didn't give uh, before because you didn't want to, but you didn't have the opportunity. You didn't have the, uh, the means to do so. In verse 17, he says, it's not even that I desire a gift from you. He said, but I desire fruit that would be added to your account. You know that uh, your giving and your prayers, that it has a direct impact on souls all around the world when your church is specifically involved in world missions, that those souls that are saved across the sea are fruit that's being added to your account. And that's what Paul was saying. I'm rejoicing that you get to be a part of what God is doing around the world. He said, because this isn't about me. This isn't, what I, this isn't about what I can get from you. This isn't about what you can give to me. He said, because I have learned in whatsoever state I am, I've learned to be content. In verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased, which means low, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know what he's saying there in verse 12? He says, listen, I know how to live when I have absolutely nothing. I know how to live when I've got enough. I know how to live when I'm hungry and I know how to live when I'm full. He's like, you know what? I know how to live pretty well when it's a longhorn steak and baked potatoes. Somebody say amen right there. But you know what? I also know how to live when it's a 20-cent pack of ramen noodles from Walmart because my contentment does not come from what the world has to offer me. He said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You see, when Jesus is the source of our strength, He becomes the source of our contentment. And when Jesus is the source of our contentment, then He alone is the source of our joy. You know, I think of so many people all around America and churches that I've come across, that I've met. They're going through such more difficult times than I could ever imagine. I'm going to be honest with you again. You know, I had a pretty good pity party for myself when we got rejected to go back to South Africa. I was sitting there and in my flesh, I was thinking, God, did I not do something right? I mean, we just invested three years at learning this language that I never want to have to try to learn again. And we had this core group of people, 20 people each and every week that were crammed into an area this size and we were getting ready to buy church property and now all of a sudden I can't get back to them? Lord, what are you trying to do? And I had a pretty good pity party for myself during all that. And I come back to the States. I'm at a church on a Sunday morning. I preach and have a good time. I meet this couple. And they just... I don't know, we clicked. They loved us. They liked us. Maybe it was my wife, because I know it wasn't me. They talked about how much they appreciated the message, how much they appreciated the presentation. They took us out to lunch. We had a good time with them. They said, hey, we're going to make sure that we pray for you, and we're going to follow along with what the Lord does in your life and ministry, and we just want to to, uh, be ministry partners with you. Had a great time the next day we're back home they're getting up getting ready to go to work and while they're getting ready upstairs their oldest son takes a pistol and he puts it to his head and he pulls the trigger and their whole life changes one day they're worshipping they're having a great time they're In love with Jesus, it's just a wonderful Sunday morning. And then Monday morning rolls around and their child has taken his own life. We look at a man like Job. You know in his time that he was the wealthiest man alive. He had more land, more cattle, this great big family. If the world were to look at Job, he was the picture of what it meant to be successful and one night he goes to bed and everything that he loves everything that he holds dear when he wakes up the next morning it's all gone job he had some of those same friends that you and i've had in our times of trouble you know the ones that just want to be a blessing to you ones that you'd really just like to smack in the teeth They come to him and they say, Job, buddy, somewhere along the way, you messed up. And now God is punishing you for your sins. Well, Job, Job knew that he hadn't done anything wrong. But his buddies are saying, Hey, well, if you'd have done this and not done this, then you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in. Or had you not done this and done this instead, then maybe all this trouble wouldn't have befallen you. But I like what Job said to his friends. He said, The Lord giveth. And the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I want to leave you with this question this afternoon. If you woke up tomorrow, and everything that you love, everything that you hold dear, it was all gone. But you still had Jesus. Would Jesus be enough? Who in the world am I to complain when Jesus has given me so much? When Jesus is the source of your strength, He then becomes the source of your contentment. And when Jesus is the source of your contentment, We can learn to have real joy. Control your thoughts, or your thoughts will control you. And expect nothing. And be grateful and praise Him for everything that He's blessed us with. If you woke up tomorrow and Jesus was all you had, would He be enough? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to hearts. God, I pray, Lord, if there's someone here that is in the midst of their storm, even this moment, God, that there would just be an overwhelming sense of the Holy Spirit of God upon their life. Lord, that you'd bring comfort and peace. Lord, that you'd bring strength. Lord, that you'd bring contentment. But Lord, even in the midst of the storm, would you help us to have joy? God, I pray, Lord, I know that the biggest struggle I have, the biggest battle that I face is right here in my own mind. Lord, help me to have victory. Lord, help me to think in terms of the Bible. Help me to think in terms of Jesus. Help me to be grateful for all the things that he's blessed me with and never take any of it for granted. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd have your will and way in our hearts. Magnify your name through our lives. We love you. And ask all of this in Jesus' name. Pastor. Seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Great reminder. Great reminder. And it all comes down to what Jesus Christ did for us. Right? We'd have nothing if it wasn't for him. So everything that we have on top of that is just a bonus. We don't know what a lot of the people in the world are going through. A lot of Christians in the world go through. We have it so good. We have it so good. Perhaps God used something that he said to speak to your heart tonight. And if he has, then the invitation is open.